Hey everybody, welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Burnt Popcorn. I am your co-host, Mike Lehman, and I am joined with none other than... Laura Laidman. Each and every week, we take a movie from our past, and we have a look back to see if it's just nostalgia keeping our high praise of classic films afloat, or if it really is the real deal and worthy of all the adulation. Now, this is the fourth episode of the show, and it's a bit significant, because for the first time ever, we have a guest on the show. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Dave Baldwin. Hi, Mike. Hi, Laura. Hi. <laughs> Happy to have you here. So, obviously, we, we, we picked the movie. We talked about it already. Our, the movie we're talking about this week is Army of Darkness. And I know you're a very big fan of Army of Darkness and Bruce Campbell. So, we wanted to have your expert opinion here. But why don't you give some people a little bit background of who you are and, you know, why they should listen to you? Well, Mike. I am a film critic who reviews for MrWillWong.com. I also occasionally review for MovieChasm.com. And you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Letterboxd at Dave M.A. Baldwin. And I tend to watch a lot of movies. And, you know, we used to watch movies way back in the day. And I'd like to think that I've helped give you more of a range of things you should watch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's one way to put some of the movies that I've watched through my association with you. Thank you for that for that quick introduction. So everybody should know who you are, as well as all of your Twitter handles. <laughs> but so I, I again, as as we said this week, we're going to be talking about Army of Darkness, which originally hit theaters back in 1992. In an age of darkness. May God have mercy upon your souls. Something's wrong. Something's amiss. And a time of evil. You shall die! When the world needed a hero. This one was souls. I don't want to die! What it got was him. Groovy. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boomstick! Now, let's talk about how I get back home. When the army spoke the words, the army of the dead awoke. <laughs> now, he's got a date. Give me some sugar, baby. <laughs> With the army of darkness. You found me beautiful once. Honey, you got real ugly. <laughs> army of darkness. The movie actually came out in 1993. Really? Okay. The, so here's my this is where I've been proven wrong. Oh, right? see, this is this is how this is how I got confused as well. Dave's it, just nodding his head. He knows what's up. He, it premiered at a film festival in 92, but didn't get a wide release in 93. So hilariously, I spent some extra time on this that I shouldn't have. But if it had been February 1993, like I first thought, we would have got to hear about things such as Def Jeffrey Dahmer being convicted of murder <laughs> and being found sane, Mike Tyson being convicted uh, of rape, Courtney Cobain and Courtney Love getting married, Tyler Lautner being born, and the 16th Winter Olympics. Instead, we get February 1993, which has all of the most exciting things, such as Senator Mitch McConnell marrying economist Elaine Chow. And we know how that's turning out. <laughs> we get on February 7th, Carmen Electra releasing her self-titled debut album, Carmen Electra. <laughs> on February 10th, Michael Jackson talks to Oprah Winfrey, airs on ABC, and drew in 90 million people. Can you imagine any show taking in 90 million viewers right now? Not anymore. No. no. And most fun of all, not even a little bit, 
the World Trade Center bombing of 1993 on February 26. Wow. I wish we were doing 1992. <laughs> uh, you know, the funny thing is, is that actually plays into my memories as well. Because I, I, I did the, the quick bit of research where it was 1992. And I was like, ah, oh, yes. My, my first memory of Army of Darkness is I saw the poster for the movie mm. in an X-Men comic book. And I wanted to look it up so I could tell you guys the, the X-Men comic issue specifically, because it was it was the inside front cover. You open up and it's that amazing poster for Army of Darkness. And I'm looking for all through all the comics in 1992. And I'm like, where's this damn book? Like, it's not in here. It's because it was in the March 1993 issue of X-Men that I that, that actually that issue was the one that I was thinking of. Yeah, so that that was where my first memory of of Army of Darkness was. I did not know Evil Dead whatsoever. I only knew this movie, and it wasn't until years later that I actually watched the entire trilogy in one night, and that was my first introduction to Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. Well, before I get into mine, I would love to hear Dave's. I would say that I was six when it came out, so I obviously didn't get to watch it when it first came out. I would say I watched them all around 2002, 2003, because I spent way too much time on the internet and everybody was talking about all sorts of random movies from back in the day. And that's when Sam Raimi was making Spider-Man movies. And so I kept hearing about Evil Dead, Evil Dead, Evil Dead. So I decided to rent it from Blockbuster and I watched Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2 pretty much back to back um, on VHS, which is terrifying because that really dates me. And I didn't like either of those films very much the first time. And then when I watched Army of Darkness the first time, I fell in love with it immediately. Yeah, so I, I feel like the same kind of thing as you guys. I watched them all in one night, but it was definitely, I would say, 2002, 2000, eh, probably 2002, I would say, is probably when I saw them for the first time and then saw them many times after in the exact same setting. So when I was in 11th and 12th grade, which would be around 2001, 2002, I would go to, uh, I don't want to say parties and I don't want to say sleepovers because I mean, I was 16, 17 years old and it definitely wasn't a party like you'd think like a teenage house party, but it wasn't like a kid's sleepover, but because we were drinking and my one friend whose place we'd go over to her, she had an older sister, you know, the cool older sister. And we would drink fuzzy navels and watch the Evil Dead movies. And we watched them all in one night because her older sister being the cool older sister was like, you guys have to see this movie. And we'd watch the first one. She said, okay, now we're going to watch the second one and then the third one. And we would get drunk on fuzzy navels and feel disgusting the next day after watching all the Evil Dead movies. Fuzzy navels, really? Hey, you know what? It was the early 2000s and it was the middle of nowhere and we drank what we had <laughs> i mean i guess i mean i don't know about you dave i'm not a fuzzy navel kind of guy when it comes to army of darkness no i'm not feeling fuzzy navels with army of darkness <laughs> <laughs> all right well why don't you tell us a little bit more about the army of darkness before we get into it proper with our with our rewatch memories so to speak i guess so let us set the box office scene, as it were, with Army of Darkness being released on February 19th, 1993, directed by the great Sam Raimi, famous for uh, Raimi memes, and uh, starring Bruce Campbell and many Ted Raimis. 
<laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> now, was this movie number one at the box office? No. Was it Wayne's World? No. That was number one in 1992 in February because I messed up twice. Nice. It was actually Groundhog Day that was number one, which had come out the week before. Before that was Loaded Weapon and Groundhog Day was booted by Falling Down. Banger City. Now, that's not to say it wasn't a success. It did make its money back. It made over $21.5 million international, and 11 of that was domestic. But to compare, the top movies of the year were Jurassic Park, <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire, and The Fugitive. Overall, Army of Darkness was 106 at the box office. Does this movie not meet our show's criteria? Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that is where you're wrong, sir. It won the Saturn Award for Best Horror Film, so it counts. All right, there we go. But other movies nominated that year for Best Horror Film included The Dark Half and The Good Son, and the other ones I didn't recognize at all, so I'm not going to mention them. So, um, meh. No, no, okay. Do you have those names? Because I bet Dave knows. Dave you know is what? like an encyclopedia Dave... of movies. Yeah. Give it a shot. I do know what The Good Son is. That's on my list of movies I really want to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that, and I've seen and read the the dark half. Isn't Good Son the Macaulay Culkin bad kid movie? Yes. Yes. You see, you, there was a time period when it came to movies where, like, I assumed because I was dumb and a kid that if you saw somebody in a movie, they were like that in every movie you saw. So when the good son came out, I just assumed Macaulay Culkin was exactly like he was in home alone. And when Jurassic park came out, Sam Neill's next movie was in the mouth of madness. And I just assumed it would just be another fun romp with Sam Neill in it. Not so much. Okay. So other movies nominated that year were the dark half, the good son, hard target, Wait, wait, you don't know Hard Target? Oh, that's the Jean-Claude Van Damme one. That was a horror movie? They were really stretching for nominations that year. They probably couldn't fit it in any other box. Yeah, probably. California starring Brad Pitt. David Duchovny. Oh. Now you uh, want to see this movie. Yeah, a little. Uh, <laughs> Needful Things and The Vanishing. Other big winners that year at the Saturn Awards were Jurassic Park. Okay, well, hold on. Back up. Needful Things and The Vanishing. Dave, do you know what those movies are? I've heard of The Vanishing. I do not know what Needful Things is. And before Laura said it, I knew California existed with Brad Pitt. I knew that was one of his first big movies. I know uh, Needful Things because I've read the book, but I don't. I didn't realize it had been adapted. Well, okay then. Was there any more stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was more stuff after the awards you wanted to hit up. That was it? It won some horror awards, so it counts. Can I just point out that that year, Lance Henriksen won Best Supporting Actor for Hard Target, <laughs> beating out Jeff Goldblum, Wayne Knight, and John Malkovich for In the Line of Fire, because that's kind of hysterical. That's amazing. I'm shocked that, yeah, I'm looking at this, uh, Jeff Goldblum didn't win. Yeah, there's some big, bigger names in that category. Unacceptable. Was there was Jeff Goldblum in the back in those days looked at as fondly as he is now? I don't know. Well, he wasn't the fly, and Earth Girls are easy. <laughs> yeah, that's a big pull <laughs> if you want to talk about <laughs> premium Jeff Goldblum films. Earth Girls are easy. Well, he was in Annie Hall and Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Fly. 
any also. I'm just looking through the rest of these. Yeah, that that would be about the end of it. After Lost World Jurassic Park, he kind of fell off. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just another case of everybody growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s having fonder memories than they actually need to be. <laughs> and that's what this podcast is all about. Exactly. Finding out if we actually should not be caring about these movies. <laughs> but that in mind, I think it's time we actually get into our rewatch of the movie. And I, I got to say, the first thing I wrote down, my very first note, is this movie goes from zero to 60 very quickly. It gives you the plot and it's just like, bam, bam, bam. Now we're in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It went off on a good clip, which I quite enjoyed, to be honest. There was no slow start like, oh, get to the deadites. Yeah. It just no, went. They, they literally are just like. Here's an exposition that lets you know all the background you need to know, especially because they like, unless you really knew it was a a sequel, because it doesn't come off as a sequel. It's not called, you know, Evil Dead 3 or anything like that. So if it gives you all of the information you need to know immediately within like two minutes. Medieval Dead. (laughs) Isn't it called that in Europe? I'm not sure if it was called that. I think that's what he wanted to call it. And then they just told him no. And I don't even know why he would go back to Universal after he got screwed around on Darkman. But here we are. (laughs) It works, though. It works, though. Like, I feel like it almost is more fitting. Yeah, I think it. I think it like it, too. But like that right off the hop, like the whole idea of the medieval dead, like just like it's medieval England and as always, and like this is this is just one of those like things where there's no way it would work anyway. It always happens in fiction, but I always notice it is that any time travel, you go back, like, there's a fish out of water, like one person from the past comes forward, or person from the now goes back. They all speak the same English, which again, there's no way to make it work for a movie and have it be something audiences could watch, but. They all spoke modern English and understood exactly what he was saying when he used all sorts of early 90s slang. And I don't know, it still works. I'm good with it. Definitely. One thing I will say is going back a few episodes, we talked about Top Gun (laughs) and how Top Gun was like, is Top Gun just, is it going off cliches or is it the creation of the cliches? Mm-hmm. And I, I I had the same thought here within like the first five minutes of this same, movie. Same, same. Well, Duke Nukem took everything. Like he stole all of Ash's best lines. It's true. Like Duke Nukem is 100% stolen li- one-liners from popular action movies. Yeah, like literally everything Ash says, Duke Nukem ended up saying. <laughs> Except you got real ugly. No, he might say that one too. Who knows? I, I don't remember yeah. Duke Nukem 3D that well, but I, I do remember the time that I was playing Duke Nukem 3D and my parents were standing there and I blew somebody up and Duke Nukem yelled out, holy shit. And that was the last time I was allowed to play Duke Nukem. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to play Duke Nukem as a kid. You missed out. No, I didn't play it either as a kid. Well, I, I feel like Duke Nukem wasn't a kind of game you were going to play in the 90s anyway there. Probably not. No. Was it? Was it Donkey Kong? It was not Donkey Kong. Then I didn't play it. No, you definitely didn't. One of the things I noticed, and it it isn't a critique, but it's one of those things where the movie was never meant to be seen in HD. So right off the hop, one of the things I noticed was like little things like fake mustaches, fake hair, like wigs and weaves and such. They're super evident, but it almost adds to the charm of the movie. 
I, I didn't like, it didn't, wasn't one of those things like, oh, the makeup artist could have done a better job there. It was like, oh, that's so fun. Yeah. I found that to be like a running thing when it came to effects, just in general. Like we talked about the mummy where it was like, oh, some of these have aged poorly and, and it, it kind of takes you out of the moment. But this, because of the way the whole movie was, all of the effects, even if they were bad, were so charming and fit the rest of the movie so well. Like one of my favorite things is, is what later when the actual like army of darkness shows up, you can tell that at almost every occasion, it's like just a, a stage hand holding a skeleton slightly off camera, you know, but all of that stuff works. It's all really well done. It's all really funny. I mean, literally one of the scenes is a skeleton, like duct taped to the back of a horse as it rides away. <laughs> and it, and it, this skeleton is just bouncing around like crazy. But it, it, it's, it adds to the movie because it's just so on brand for what, what they did with, with everything, with the effects and the costumes and, and all of that stuff. Well, he's also going for the whole Jason and the Argonauts, Her- Ray Harryhausen thing, right? With all the stop motion. And like when you guys were talking about like the HD, like you can see some of the strings holding thing, holding like the arrow going by or the car falling from the sky. Like you can see the string holding it. And then I don't know if you guys watch the same HD copy that I watched, but like some of like the quality of the film, you can see how garbage it looks still like they've updated it so much that it still doesn't look great. Well, my favorite thing was when it came to the effects, which is something I wrote down, is I wrote uh, Bruce Campbell's body double might as well have had second credit in this film. He's in it so much with all of the scenes where he's supposed to be, you know, there's multiple ashes. Like later in the movie when he's fighting the mini hymns, there's scenes where there's like three ashes running around and one of them is Bruce Campbell and the other two are very clearly other actors. And and then there's when the big ash shows up, when the, 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 the second ash shows up. He's dragging the other Ash on Bad Ash. Yeah, Bad Ash is is dragging Bad Ash on the ground. And Good Ash is very clearly another actor (laughs) while he's dragging away Bruce Campbell in makeup. Like, I mean, it's again, it all, I feel like it just adds so much more to the movie because it's just the, the whole movie's like that. You don't look at it and be like, that's a bad effect. You look at it like this is just par for the course for the movie. And it really adds to the way that that movie feels and even i wouldn't even call them bad effects they like there's a few instances where yeah like when the nail goes like into his foot and in the hd you can see that the nail is just another layer of film in front and doesn't actually go into his foot with the one he's fighting the mini ashes but like for practical effects for what their budget had to be which wasn't a big budget like this movie at 21 million dollars made all its money back plus some it is a box office success they didn't have a ton of money. The practical effects and the makeup in this movie are fantastic. They hold up well. The practical effects hold up fantastically. And it's one of our critiques with The Mummy is like so much of the practical stuff looked good, but the CG stuff doesn't hold up. And I, I think with this movie, the practical effects hold up so well, despite being an older movie at a lower budget. Overall, at the end of the day, was more immersive despite its goofiness in the actual story with the practical effects than the cg effects of 1999 in a big box office like huge budget movie it's funny that we keep calling it low budget when like compared to like evil dead one and evil dead 2 it's like avengers endgame 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True, true. And, and we're also talking like 1992 money where $20 million is like, what, $100 million in our current day money, it feel like. Uh, uh, inflation. It's a wonderful thing. Going back to some of the notes that I wrote, the opening of this movie really like just right away sets the tone of what you are in for. Like, obviously, the movie goes zero to 60 and it takes right off. But it, it, it keeps you up to date with like exposition. Like the wizard shows up and he's like, oh, this is the chosen one. And off we go. Like we immediately know what all that's about. There's no like lead up to like, oh, but is he the chosen one? It's just straight up. No, he's the chosen one. But like the first whole maybe 10 minutes of the movie when they they lead him into the castle and then he has the fight in, in the in the pit with the pit bitch. If I remember correctly, you might know better than I do. It's, it's pit bitch, right? sure is Um, but like that's the tone of the movie right there like it's it's just the whole movie is exactly like that scene you know like like there's no real change in tone the 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 fight is is the what i wrote down is slapstick horror and slapstick horror the the way that it's done in this film it's it's so consistent. It's so funny the way they do it. And I, I, I just really like that it, it, it picks its tone and it sticks with it. And, and it's just, you know, it's not too scary or, or whatever. It's just, it, it's fun is what it is. And mm-hmm. it lets you know from the get go that you're going to be in for a fun time. Like this isn't a haunted house. This is like a, a, a carnival haunted house like it's like a like you know where you walk down the hallway and it shoots air at you kind of a thing like that's the kind of haunted house you're in for but you're still having a good time yeah exactly it's just weird for me watching it when you watch it in comparison to evil dead one and evil dead two where evil dead one is like a straight horror movie and then evil dead two is kind of more slapsticky more three stooges and then this one's like full-blown like looney tune style ridiculous slapstick and like a couple of fun horror gags but it like to your point it's not a very scary movie and the fact that it got an r rating is kind of shocking to me just because it's like there's only like one real scene one or two real scenes of blood and like random topless girls in that one scene that you could easily cut out yeah yeah what the hell i wrote that down too what is with the random topless girls (laughs) they're in it for like 10 seconds and then they're gone that's that's your R rating right there. Yeah, like like there's the one F bomb that I can remember where he just drops one randomly, and then there's just two random topless girls. Yeah, he tells them get the fuck out of here. <laughs> exactly, like crazy. Like, but but yeah, uh, that was one thing I wrote down. The two topless girls, they're there. They're never mentioned again. They're just there. Well, it's not like a gratuitous horror film without nudity. Well, he rips her top off, too, and it's cut out. It's cut out of the theatrical version. I don't know if you caught that or not, but he rips he rips it out. I did see, because you see, like, her back with, like, her bare back when he's grabbed her kind of a thing. Like, this is when Evil Ash grabs Sheila. Well, right after the two topless women go by, in the background, you can see Sheila's shirt has been torn down, but you don't, you don't see anything there either. I, I did read in the, the, the director's cut. There's like a full sex scene where you see everything. I've never seen this before. I didn't even know that there's a director's cut of this movie. I did my homework and I watched the theatrical and I watched the director's cut. And if I had time, I would have watched the international and the TV version too. Cause my, DV, my Blu-ray has all four. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
But yeah, there's a full on sex scene. It doesn't it doesn't go on very long. It's right after he says, give me some sugar, baby. And he makes out with her and then it cuts to them tastefully making love. And then right after that is him off to the forest. That makes so much more sense because he comes back after he gets the book and he says something to the she says something to the effect of like, did last night mean nothing to you? And it was like that random kiss. Like, that's what she's referring to. (laughs) yeah yeah that makes a lot more sense okay but that whole sequence too when it comes to her being like well i mean him and her getting together and then you know her being like in love with him and stuff this also leads to another question that i have is does anyone happen to have a definite time frame of how much time passes in this this movie because he goes, I mean, obviously we know that it's a sequel. Not everybody knows it's a sequel, but he goes to the cabin with the love of his life. She dies. And then like the next day, it seems like he's like, well, now I love Sheila in the past. You know, like there's that whole scene. And, and additionally, if time does pass, if he's trapped in the past for long enough to form a relationship with Sheila, why do his face cuts never stop bleeding? The entire movie, his face cuts are bloody, like, the entire movie. He's, he's a go-go man of the 80s. He doesn't have time to slow down. <laughs> well, that's the 90s, though. That's true. Well, the first movies were the 80s. That's true. He, he went from, the movie took place in, in the 80s. Maybe it was very humid, and it was just like his, his wounds wouldn't heal because it was too hot. I, I don't know. But yeah, he was always, always bleeding. I assume it's been like, a couple of days but you know he's been through a lot and there's a pretty girl throwing herself at him and the love of his life is you know dead <laughs> and he's probably he, in his mind he's probably not going back so he doesn't really care <laughs> true yeah true but i mean at the same time she throws herself at him and and i gotta say like i can see why because over the years i've been a big fan of bruce campbell after you know seeing these movies and other movies he's done and TV shows. Like I was a big fan of Xena and he shows up in that quite a bit. Briscoe County (laughs) Jr. (laughs) I'm sure Dave could tell you all about Briscoe County Jr. But I own it on DVD. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I feel like out of everything I've ever seen Bruce Campbell in, he is at his absolute peak handsomeness in this movie. Like, you're a lady. You would agree, right? Yeah, he's very manly. And he's jacked. Yeah. And he's his shirt's open for part of it, too. <laughs> for good part of it. Right? <laughs> but, like, I have seen Bruce Campbell in passing, and he is an attractive man. This was probably nine, eight or nine years ago. Maybe a little more, actually. Saw him uh, from about two feet away at a convention. But I know... Dave has had a much closer interaction with the man. I've, I've met him three times. I loved each and every time, but he's, he's fun. He's a funny guy and he's, he's genuine. He has like that aura about him where he's actually happy that you're there to see him. And I, I assume he exudes charisma. He does. He definitely does. And he's, he's just fun. Like when we, I did a photo op with him and he just like, he posed us and he just had fun with it. And then when he was signing, he just, he just had fun with it. But he, he, he knows what kind of actor he is and he knows what kind of fan base he is. And he's appreciative of the people that come to see him and that still watch the stuff. And like army of darkness was his only 
leading role in a major motion picture and like it shows because he they, like like you said he's peak bruce campbell in this movie that's always so good to hear because like you hear like you know so many celebrities especially like a lot of the ones who are these more niche celebrities who almost like resent it where they're like well we well i just watched a different documentary on youtube doesn't matter uh, and one of the other celebrities he's like i'm famous for this really i mean i'll take the money but ugh. and it's like it's so nice to hear when a celebrity like bruce campbell is actually like really appreciative of his niche fandom and his fans because like we're the people who made him successful so like it's nice to know he doesn't like resent people for that no but he doesn't take any shit in his um uh, his q a's he does not Fair. he Fair. just does not put up with uh with stupid questions yeah, I can. What? Okay, if you were to Q and A and heard it, like, do you remember any of these stupidest questions? The one specific one that stands out in my head is somebody asked him for acting advice, and somebody had a copy of his book in his hand, in their hand, in the front row, and he grabbed the book and he held it in his hand, and he's like, "I wrote it all out in here. Go buy a fucking copy." Next question. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great and a great sales technique, right? Maybe the guy was a plant. That's true. It could be a plant. <gasps> cracking the code well it's one of his older books so who knows (laughs) but no in this movie he's a gem to watch like he's just you can't not be paying attention to what he's doing yeah and and he definitely like runs the gamut like he 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 plays himself he plays ash pretty silly but not like over the top silly but then when he plays evil ash he is not afraid to go over the top over the wall into another country like like just knocks it out of the solar system with how over the top he is when when he's evil ash not afraid to do that at all and and it's it's it it really adds to the fun like it brings you on this roller coaster with him because he's he's right there with you you know he's having just as silly a time as you are kind of a thing yeah i feel like everyone in this movie must have been having the best time like it just feels like everyone filming it was there and having a great time Yeah, like, he's kind of fearless in this movie, and it's kind of, I know Sam Raimi puts him through all sorts of shit, but, like, you can see that he's having fun. You can see, I I think the only one who's not having fun here is the the lead actress, Ambeth Davids, I think is how you pronounce her name. She went from this to Schindler's List, so I applaud her agent. (laughs) But every, like you said, everyone's having a blast. Yeah, and like, and like, yeah, I understand it's like goofy and everything, but you know, one of the things that like, there's are some things to it that I almost feel like there was more thought put into it than uh, the movie lets on. Like, one of the things that kind of hit me, and it it reminded me of the thing is Evil Ash. He has both hands, so when he's like grown anew from Good Ash, he comes out with both hands attached and that feels like a sort of like one of those things where someone was thinking like actually putting the thought into this goofy movie but like it's not as dumb as it looks like it is you know what i mean because like it makes sense if this is a new person drawn out of person who's lost their hand chances are if you're using the dna they would have both hands although they didn't you know think too much in the sense of how did he get a full set of the same clothes but you know i mean you know what you can overlook that it's a it's a fun movie it's a silly movie how did the people in the thing get the clothes too come on it's part of his deadite-ness 
<laughs> his deadite powers is to create the similar wardrobe. Well, they they steal the clothes in the in the thing. Shh! Shut up. <laughs> See, someone thought about this too. Yeah. Still, I I liked I like that touch. It just seemed like it made sense. Plus, it was probably a really good way to keep track of who was who until his face got all messed up. True. True. Even though that doesn't take very long at all either. I know. <laughs> One thing that I really liked about the movie too is there's not a lot of fat. You know, like no. like you could say like we've talked about other movies on the show where it's been like you know looking back this this just seems like it could have been shortened or or something like that or like this scene didn't really need to be in there. Like I mean, as as much as there's scenes in the movie that are like like the scene where he's in the the windmill and he fights the the mini versions of him that obviously leads to you know evil ash showing up but like when when it comes to the way that the story flows there's no like extra scene like what are the characters that I wrote, that I wrote the, the blacksmith that blacksmith loves ash you know like he, from the moment he steps in the castle the blacksmith with the big mustache bald guy big mustache he looks at ash like ash is a hero from the second he shows up in chains he's like that that's my guy right there. That's my guy. And throughout the whole movie, anytime there's any scene where, where Ash is, is talking or anything, that guy's always in the background there. Just like, you know, yeah, or, or something like that. And he, he's the first guy to step up to be like, yeah, I'm the guy that believes in you. I feel like in any other movie, there'd be like maybe like 15 minutes of that guy being like, oh, I, I trust you. And, you know, like them getting to know each other and, and stuff like that. Like, there's nothing like that in this movie. It's just... What's the next important scene of events? You know, Ash gets his hand. He's like, I got to go get the book. The next scene is him going to get the book. You know, like it's just the movie moves. You know, there, there's no stops for it to to just kill time and add running time to it, I guess is the best way to put it. The theatrical one is a lot cleaner. And when I watch the director's cut today, other than the alternate ending everything else is the exact same it just like it goes on longer like him and the windmills longer the initial battle when they're trying to get into the castle is longer and then there's different scenes that are out of place and don't quite match properly like henry the red's men come at the very end just as him and evil ash or or he's about to launch evil ash into the air and it doesn't really flow as well as the theatrical one does the like you said the theatrical one kind of it moves with a purpose and like it doesn't fuck around it's like boom 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 unlike other movies today where like you said there'd be another character would go on a bit longer like it just has momentum and that's kind of the thing with all the evil dead movies they're all under 80 minutes long and there's no time to to breathe or slow down they just keep moving and i respect that and i respect that kind of filmmaking from sam raimi and it's kind of like, why aren't you still making movies, man? Like, your last movie was Oz the Great and Powerful, and now you're going to be doing Doctor Strange 2. Like, come on. Go back to this. Go back to this kind of economic filmmaking. Speaking of, you know, Raimi filmmaking, I did appreciate all the quick zooms on so many, so many moments. It's just... That montage, when he's getting his hand, when he's putting his hand together, is just like... If somebody were to ask me, like, what is a Sam Raimi movie like? I would just be like, watch this clip. And it's bam. That's the Sam Raimi movie. So good. And he says groovy. And it's amazing. And it was like, because I had watched. When did Spider-Man 2 come out? 
Oh, Spider-Man 2 was 2002? 2004. 2004. Four. Four. Four, yeah. So this that would have come out right after I'd watched these. And I remember watching the scene with Doc Ock in the hospital and they're doing the surgery to remove the octopus arms. And there's like the the medical chainsaw and it's like zoom, zoom. And I'm like, oh, I get this reference. That scene is 100% like an Evil Dead sequence, which was great. I cheered in the theater. Nobody else cheered, but I cheered. <laughs> Everyone else was like, what is that guy's problem? <laughs> but I cheered for Bruce Campbell when he showed up at the snooty usher, too. So, <laughs> Well, that's fair. Right. Fair. And, and when he was in the wrestling guy in the other movie, and then the, he was a snooty waiter in the third movie. So. Mater D, yeah. Yes. I mean, the long-running rumor, I don't know if this was ever actually confirmed. And he was going to be Mysterio in Spider-Man 4. That's... <laughs> That's what it was. Is he was going to be Mysterio if the, if that <gasps> version ever happened? Did you not know that? No. Yeah, yeah. He was going to be Mysterio. He was going to be like I think it was supposed to be like the beginning of the movie was him being Mysterio, and then the rest of the movie would be John Malkovich as like the Vulture or something. No. And we got Jake Gyllenhaal instead. I'm actually like really sad. What could have been? I mean, Jake did a good job. He he did he did, but he's no Bruce Campbell. And I mean, Michael Keaton would a great job as the Vulture. Although John Malkovich Vulture would have been really fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I I had heard there was a fourth one, and I think I'd heard John Malkovich's uh, Vulture, but I I didn't I didn't realize. No. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things like um, Black Cat was supposed to be in it. Anne Hathaway. And it was supposed to, it was Anne Hathaway. Yes, and which is so funny because she ended up being Catwoman like right after that instead. But yeah, I remember it was Anne Hathaway who was supposed to be Black Cat. But yeah, we didn't we didn't get that. We got Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio and we got Michael Keaton as the Vulture. Ten years later. True, true. We had to get through Amazing Spider-Man first. Yeah. I feel bad for Andrew Garfield. He's the only good thing about him. And Emma Stone. The only good thing about those movies. Yeah. I felt that he was a really good Spider-Man but not a very good Peter Parker. His Peter Parker was terrible. That's fair. I'd give you, I'll give you that. Wasn't well, I great. Mean, it wasn't great. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> he did. He did the quips better than Toby did. Yeah. <gasps> fair, but we're, we're, we're not here to talk about Spider-Man. Either. We're here to talk about <laughs> army of darkness. True, and Sam, true. Sam but Raimi. Like, I mean, this led to Spider-Man. It's true. It's true. Was, was there anything else that, that, that one, one thing I really wanted to point out because this movie has a very like a big chunk of it is a nighttime invasion of a castle scene by an undead army against a ragtag group of heroes that are trying to like defeat the undead and save the world. And this movie is what freaking the guys from game of Thrones should have watched before they filmed the friggin' battle for Winterfell <laughs> episode because this did that story ten billion times better than Game of Thrones did. Like, I feel like the free folk people from Reddit are missing out on some real good memes here because this did a way better job. <laughs> I didn't watch Game of Thrones. Don't kill. Me. No, that's okay. Honestly, like after the last season, I have no intention to ever watching it again. 
yeah, it, it's that that show kind of became a thing where it was like, how can you not have seen Game of Thrones? And now that it's over, everybody would be like, hey, you're better off not watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, I still like it. I don't love the ending, but I still like Game of Thrones. Anyway, again, we're getting off topic to the thing. Dave, did you have any big notes? I mean, obviously, you watched it more times than we did. I just wanted to ask, just because you guys, it, you didn't have any knowledge of the director's cut. Do you know what the alternate ending is? Yes. Yes. We did we, watch the alternate. Ending. We did watch the alternate ending on our DVD. I've I've seen it before. I think I watched it when when I originally saw it. Same. And then I, you know, we watched it again the other night. Like we watched the movie, and then it was over, and we're like, well, we're going to watch the alternate ending still, right? And you know, we still watched it. And I mean. What do you think? Uh, obviously, the, the studio changed the ending f- to make it more of a happy ending, I guess you could say. But like, what do you think, Dave? You, you're the one that brought it up. Do you think it's a better ending? So that's the ending of the director's cut. Like the director's cut is basically the exact same movie with like additional scenes type thing. And then it ends like that. And in fitting with Evil Dead 1 and 2, it's a perfect ending because, you know, shit keeps happening to this poor bastard so it it makes sense that that would be the ending but in terms of the tone of army of darkness it doesn't really fit it's too it's way too dark like the studio telling him to change it makes perfect sense because i love the theatrical ending and i love that it ends on hail to the king baby like that's that is what made me fall in love with army of darkness and fall in love with bruce campbell so like i'm 100 percent theatrical ending but like it's, it's just weird and it really doesn't fit the movie at all. It just fits the franchise. The ending of Army of Darkness works better because it leads into the show that eventually happened that I really need to watch the last season of. Yeah, like I was actually going to bring that point up as well because the show, like, obviously the show follows the ending of the theatrical version, not the ending of uh, the director's cut. And and you're right. I need to finish that show too. You Same. and I, we watched the first season and then never watched the rest of it. That sounds like a lot of shows we watch. Uh, we watch a lot of shows and you also tend to tap out after the first or second season on most of them. Yeah. So it's you. I blame you entirely. It's Me been too. on our, it's been on our Netflix queue for like four years at this point. We're going like. to go watch it when they take it off. My wife will never, ever watch it. So I just have to find time to watch it on my own. <laughs> The first season I remember really enjoying. But speaking of things to enjoy, back in 1992 or 1993, depending on when Laura was was looking, critics had thoughts on this movie. So why don't you fill us in on some of those past reviews? Well, the movie itself has critically is pretty well received. I mean, and I know Dave has his qualms with Rotten Tomatoes. But it holds a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes for critical score and an 87% on uh, for audience scores, which is quite high. I think that's the highest critical score of the movies we've done so far. So far, yeah. Yeah. Roger Ebert gave it two out of four and uh, said the movie isn't as funny or as entertaining as Evil Dead 2, but it may be because the jokes are a little recycled. I'm like, eh, I don't agree, but whatever. He had a pretty decent review for Audrey, but I think. The reviewer from the Washington Pope really liked it. He really liked the cinematography. He said, Bill Pope's cinematography is gymnastic and appropriately frenetic. And he praised the makeup and special effects, which I mean, I believe we all did. Entertainment Weekly did not enjoy it and said it's a spoofy cast of thousands uh, that looks too much more like a crew of bland Hollywood extras. 
cast so, of thousands. It's it's, it's Sam Ted Raimi, Raimi. And, yeah, Ted Raimi in like fifteen different wigs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Fuck Entertainment Weekly, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they're wrong, and they should feel bad. They're a hundred percent wrong. Okay, well then let's get into the main event here. Let's get into our review scores. And I feel like we're all like we're not grading on a curve here. This is this is a, I feel like this is a straight flush that we all got the same thing. But you know, let's go through the motions. Dave, you're our guest. Why don't you go first? Oh, sorry. Do you, do you remember the rubric? Uh, I remember that it's burnt popcorn, regular or extra butter. Is that correct? That is correct. So it what, what is it? Is it burnt? Regular or extra butter for you? See, this is the thing that I've noticed when I watched it again this time is that it wasn't like I still really like it. So I would probably still say extra butter. But I feel in my older age that I'm starting to gravitate more towards Evil Dead 2. I didn't used to love that movie. And now I'm feeling like I'm starting to go towards that. Like I love Ash in this movie, but as the the movie itself, I kind of love Evil Dead 2 more, but I would still put extra butter on it and because we didn't mention it at all yet i really love the score in this movie yes i I love the score yeah fully agree what's the name of the song that there's the one song it's like getting ready to kill dozer or something like that and that song is fantastic building the death coaster that's the one that's the song yeah (laughs) it's it's a great song i had that song on my ipod i did too it's a great track and march of the dead is a great track too (laughs) Well, I, I also agree. Double butter for sure. Maybe even with a little bit of those uh, seasoning packets on it. Uh, <laughs> just for some extra spice. You know, you get one of those little like uh, barbecue powder, ketchup powder. Not dill pickle, though. Not that's, dill pickle. That's terrible. Bleh. That's like that's like a negative. Yeah. That's almost Maybe some caramel thing. corn on there. <laughs> Himalayan salt. Glassettes. <laughs> Glassettes. <laughs> yeah. I'll mix that in. Yeah. But uh, the the one thing that I think is my biggest complaint about the movie, and this is not a real complaint. We mentioned it very briefly, but stop motion animation or stop motion anything mixed with live action makes me feel real weird. I don't know. It just it makes my brain feel strange. And I don't like it. But other than that, fantastic. So yeah, despite that, it still gets yeah, like yeah, your double exactly. butter with arugula on it or whatever. Ooh, Ew, arugula, really? <laughs> I had arugula on my burger last night. Probably better than on your popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> to complete the three of us, yes, I it's it's double butter, extra butter for me as well. I've already forgotten my own <laughs> our own rating system. I. It, I had it perfectly, but now for some reason I can't remember if it's extra or double. So we'll we'll get this cleared up for next episode. But like the entire time I watched the movie with a smile on my face, Same. like, like it, it it's just it's just so enjoyable. Like it, it's it, it's a Looney Tunes cartoon horror movie. Yeah, you know, like it, even when he hits gets hit in the head, you hear the, like the little bird noises and like th- there is literally a Three Stooges routine in the middle of this movie. You know, like like it's it's just a lot of fun and and based on a lot of the things that we've said like it's it just the movie starts and it goes and it's not overly long so if it's something where you're like i don't know if it's for me like there's no reason for you to not watch it because it's not going to take up too much of your time and it's a fun ride the entire way through yeah so yeah, yeah extra butter for me too 
Hooray. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good spot to, to wrap it up for this one. Dave, thank you so much for being our first guest on the show. And thank you for dealing with all of our technical problems at the beginning. That's why we made Dave do it first. I think it's we okay. lost Dave. If he might be no, frozen. I'm still here. I'm still here. You froze. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It, okay. Well, you on our end, you froze, I could say. But yeah, like, somebody's got to be the guinea pig. It was you. And, and we appreciate that. So I, I hope if in the future we were doing another movie that uh, you think you might want to stop by and, 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 and comment on that you, you will. But uh, for now, if, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or, or, or see your body of work, your, your film criticism, you went off it off the top. But hey, what's one more reminder at the end? Please tell everybody where they can find you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on here, and I do love being the guinea pig. If you'd like to read some of my stuff, you can find me some of my reviews on MrWillWong.com and TheMovieChasm.com. As well, you can find my uh, ramblings on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Letterboxd at Dave M. A. Baldwin. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for this episode of Burnt Popcorn. I am Mike. I'm Laura. And next week, we will be talking about... <gasps> The craft. Oh, this is the one. This is the one I knew was coming. Gotta keep it spooky. Dave, are you are you wanna come back for the craft? No. Maybe. We'll see. I might have a guest lined up. <laughs> you can just watch along with us. I'd be good with it. Uh yeah. Uh, when when I saw your list of movies and the craft was on there and I'm like, okay, well, we'll see. Cause cause at this point now, now that we're doing this, you know, critically as a podcast. Will my answer be what I really think of it? Or will it be the... Save your marriage answer? I was going to save my marriage answer. Is this the answer my wife wants to hear? <laughs> answer. We'll get the truth on, on, on next week's episode. Well, we hope you'll join us on our next episode. We will talk to you again soon. Bye. Feel free to jump in there, Dave. Bye. Perfect. <laughs>